All right. Well, I'm so thankful you're here today. Open in your Bibles to Judges chapter 4. And we are going to dive right in. Last week, uh, well, to begin this series, we asked the question, what happens when God's people do not act like God's people? Because that's what's happening in the book of Judges. God's people are living like the people, that the land they were in, the Canaanites. They were not living like God's people. And then last week, we took it a step further, and we asked the question, what happens when God's people no longer know him? And see, that's what happens is when you no longer act like you know God, when you no longer act like his people, then no longer do you know him. No longer do you know his presence. No longer do you know his love. No longer do you know his power in your life. And we see that again and again in the book of Judges. In fact, the entire book shows us that again and again and again, that the people of God did not act like they knew God, and so God pulled his hand away, his hand of providence, his hand of promise, and allowed whatever was happening to them to continue to do it and to intensify and then they finally would cry out to him. But they lived as if they didn't even know him. This week, I want to ask another question. And, and I don't know if you write things down. I would encourage you to do this, to write this down. What, this, this is the question. What would happen if we understood how desperately we need God and his presence. What if we, what would happen if we understand, understood, fully understood how desperately we need God and we need his presence? We live in a society, particularly in the United States, we live in a place of affluence. We have everything we want, we have everything we could ever need. Now, you may say, well, no, no, no not, not all of us. But if you look at us in, in this nation, comparatively to the rest of the world, we have almost anything we could ever want at our fingertips. We live in a society that can get instant gratification in any moment. You're looking for uh, notoriety, looking for fame. Just post a YouTube video. If it's funny enough, if it's crude enough, if it's weird enough, you may become a YouTube uh, star or whatever. And because in our nation and in the West, no one needs anything, no one is desperate. And when we are no longer desperate, we no longer realize that we need God because we have become our own gods. We provide for ourselves our own needs. You may listen to this today, and maybe you're here for the first time in a long time, or maybe someone invited you, and, and you don't know if, that you even believe in God, or maybe you're even watching in this moment, and you say, I don't need him. Why would I need him? He's never done anything for me. Why would I be desperate for his presence I just don't care, or it doesn't seem important to me. And I would say, you may believe that in this moment, but when tragedy strikes, 
when difficulty comes, when circumstances surround you? To whom will you turn? Where will you go? When your greatest friend with your greatest confidant betrays you, to whom will you go? And you may live your life of affluence for the rest of your life, never feeling that you need God, but at one moment in eternity, you will finally and fully understand that. I believe that. And my encouragement is to find it now. Find it here. And even we Christians, even those of us who have known Jesus Christ our, our whole life, have lived our life, have gone to church, have done all these things, even we, we want comfort. We want ease. We want easy things to believe in. We want to hold on to easy things. We don't want things to be difficult. We don't want things to be trying. We don't want to face persecution. We don't want to face uh, uh, ridicule for our beliefs. We, we, we want it to be easy. But can I say today, that may be you, but I'm tired of that. I don't care what it means. I don't care what difficulty comes. I don't, want, I don't care what circumstances I may face. I want Jesus. I want his presence. And I want his power in my life. And I pray that you do as well. I could give you a, a, a funny story. I could give you a, 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 an interesting story but, but to, to make this kind of come home to you, but you can't get any weirder than what goes on in the book of Judges. It's interesting. Look at this interesting story from Judges, and, and we see one of the better judges who also happens to be a prophet and also happens to be a woman. And can I just shout out to all the ladies for a moment, like my mom and my, gran my granny, who are ladies who listen to God, boldly heed His calling, and oftentimes our sisters in Christ have done a better job than us men at this. And can I just say that from my standpoint? And so ladies, thank you for setting an example. Thank you for following the Lord and living according to His promises and doing a better job than sometimes we men have. And I don't mean to be mean or rude or anything. I just want to acknowledge that sometimes our sisters in Christ have done a better job, and we need to step up and emulate what they've set before us. That was the case in my life, my mom and my granny. This was a similar case in this moment. This lady, Deborah, was walking with God when no one else was. This lady, Deborah, was a prophetess of God, hearing from him and leading among the people already before God raised her up as a deliverer for the people. This lady, when, when men should have been leading according to their patriarchy of their society, when men should have been following God and pointing people to God, and they weren't, she was faithful and God used her. And God is using ladies every day. But what if we men stood shoulder to shoulder with our sisters in Christ and we said, not on my time, not on my turf. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to put a stake in the ground. We're going to uh, uh, storm the gates of hell for Jesus. 
What if we did that, men, along with our sisters? What could God do in our midst? What could he do in our lives? What could he do in our culture? What could he do in our community? Far more than we ever given credit for, I have to say. So I'm going to give you the gist of what's going on in this passage. But I want to hone in on one verse for our time today. The same thing is happening in this story as all the others so far and all the others that will. Remember in chapter 2, the writer of Judges set up the cycle. The, the, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, right? God pulls his hand away from them and allows them to face the consequences of living in their own way, living according to their own ideals. And they get in such a bad situation that they cry out to him and God is there with compassion and kindness and delivers them. There's a time of peace, and then they do it all again and again and again. And this, the same refrain happens here. It begins with, Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The, the Canaanite king, King Jabin, closed in on Kadesh, uh, which was occupied by the tribe of Natali. Uh, they believe Levites also lived in that land. Uh, it, it was basically the southern part of Galilee where Jesus uh, walked as a child who was born into a family, a Galilean family where the disciples came from. The same story happens again. They, the, the Israelite or the Canaanite king closed in on them, was, was ransacking their land, was taking it back from them, was, was putting them under. There, was, there were soldiers coming to, to invade the land, and the Israelites did the very same thing they've been doing again. They realized their faults, and they cried out to their God. And God did the very same thing that he had done again and again, and he sent his deliverer, Deborah. She was already walking with God, though everyone else wasn't. She was leading in spite of that patri patriarchal society. And they even named a tree after her. So you know, she was, and it was the place where she sat and ministered to people and helped people and worked with people and led people. Deborah, this deliverer God had sent, summons a man that lived in this area, this Kadesh, this Naphtali region that God had appointed as the, the, the person who would go and war against this king and defeat him. God had called him to do it, and he wasn't doing anything. And so Deborah said, you got to come down here. And, and, and she met with him, and she says, his name was Barak, and she says, Barak, I know you've heard from God. I know he's called to you. And I know that he's told you that he would give you the victory over King Jabin. I know all of this. Haven't you heard from him, she says. God wants to use you. God wants to give you victory. God wants to overthrow these people. And Barak will get a bad rap at times. We, we say he was faithless or he... He was, uh, was scared and, 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 and didn't want to do what God had called him to do. And, and, and in some ways, we see that. But we actually learn something significant from his life. He says to her, Deborah, you come with me. You come with me and I'll go. You come help me and I will do what the Lord has called me to do. And he gets a bad rap for that. 
So Deborah goes. The Lord hands Sisera, this, uh, the, the, the uh, warrior for King Jabin, over to the Israelites, but not to Barak, not to Deborah, but later to another lady doing her job, Jael. She lures Sisera tell, uh, into her tent, tells him she's hiding him, and then this is where it gets interesting, drives a tent stake through his temple while he's sleeping. Isn't the Bible interesting? And then, chapter 5 is a song all about it. <laughs> this crazy situation happens, and then they write a song. So chapters 4 and 5, same story. One is the narr narrative. The next is the poem or a song. So, we see something in Barak. Was he scared? Sure, probably. He probably was scared. Who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be afraid that God might not answer your prayers when you know it's warranted? Who wouldn't be afraid that God would actually continue to leave his hand off of you and leave you to be ransacked by these people? Who wouldn't be afraid because you understand and realize we've done wrong. We've done evil in the sight of the Lord. We've gotten these, into these circumstances. And God has said that if I go and take an army with me, he'll use me to change lives. Who wouldn't be afraid that God might not do that because they know their sin is warranted. They know they've done wrong. They know that they're among a people who's done wrong. You would think that Barak would get to be the conquering general, and he would, he would go to that and say, yes, sign me up, let me do it. But he didn't. Everything he had experienced as of late had told him something. I cannot go on my own. I need God. And what we see, this is, this is the first point that we see, the experiences of our life helps inform us of our plight. That's what Barak had come to the point of realizing. He says, God is God. God is mighty. God is a jealous God. God is a God who does not look lightly upon disobedience. God is not a God who uh, flippantly says, uh, you can live whatever way you want, and I'll just give you free grace all day long. Barak understood that they were at a place, things were happening, things were taking place because they had done wrong. And the experiences of his life informed him that he needed God to do something. Look at Joshua or Judges 4, verse 8. Judges chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. What is Barak saying here? He's, he's acknowledging that Deborah is the representation of the people. She's the representation of God for the people. She's a prophet. She's the voice of God. She's the messenger of God. She is the representation of God for the, for the, for the Israelites in that moment, in that time. And Barak says, if you will go... I will go because I can't do this on my own. I need God to go on my behalf. I need God to go before me. I need God's presence with me to face this difficulty. 
And that's our plight. Our plight is we need God's presence. We need God in our lives. We cannot do it alone. We cannot do it on our own. We have to uh, trust in him. We need him. Barak had done enough lately without God. He wasn't about to do this. Don't you see that you can't go through your life and you, you, can, you can go through your life and you can live it in your own strength and for your own purposes and you may even have a wonderful life, but in the end, it will be meaningless. At some point, I pray you understand how much you need God, not only to know Him conceptually, but to know Him and know His presence and know His power in your life. That's why Samantha's story is powerful. She was a Christian. She trusted Christ at the age of six, was baptized. She came to me and asked, you know, I think God is leading me to be baptized. So we talked about it, and I said, well, I don't know that you, that you have to, but this would be an awesome thing to show what God has done in your life and is doing in your life. And I love her story about she knew God wanted more of her. It wasn't enough just to go through the message. It wasn't just enough just to know God, but she wanted to know him. And my prayer is that we would say the same thing, that we would believe the same thing, that we would call out the same thing in our own hearts and lives. The second thing we see, the experiences of our life help inform us of our plight and that we need God's presence. And the second thing we see in this verse, 4-8, is that properly understanding our plight can lead us to the proper plea. Look at, look at verse 8 again. It says, Brock says, I will not go if you don't go. But if you will go with me, I will go. What he was saying is that I will not go unless God goes with me. That should be our plea. That should be the plea of our hearts and our lives. That uh, Yes, I could go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go if God's not going to be there. I don't want to do it if God's not going to be in that place. I don't want to live it unless God is living it right beside me and in me and through me. I don't want to experience these things any longer unless God is with me. Barak stated clearly, I want God's presence with me, and so I need the prophet. And when God's presence is there, the victory is won. Don't you want to know God's presence in your life? Have you come to a point to understand what God wants for you? Consider Romans 5, 1 through 5. It's not on the screen. I didn't tell him about it. God gave it to me uh, last night. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's salvation. That's what Samantha experienced, and maybe many of you at a young age... I know it's true for me. We have obtained access through him by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions, our experiences, our difficulties, the things that we face, the things that are in our life. We rejoice in those because they help us to see that we need God. They help us to understand we need him and we need his presence. 
And we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us. Listen to this. This hope will not be a disappointment for you because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given us given to us. He, he pours it over us. He baptizes us into his love again and again. He baptizes us into his presence. He baptizes us. He pours out, pours out baptism. Baptizo means to be submerged, to be immersed. And God wants to immerse you in his presence. You can have the filling up of your heart with the love of God Maybe this is a first-time thing today. You, you want to be filled up with, the, with, with God's salvation. As he said, since we've been declared righteous by God, faith, God looks at us, he declares us righteous. When we trust Jesus Christ, he counts us as righteous, but he wants to do even more. He wants the hope to not disappoint us. He wants to pour out his love over us. But maybe it's even a, something God wants to do new in your heart today. Romans 6, 1 through 4, we read it last week. I want to read it again because these Old Testament stories point to what Christ does in our hearts once and for all. Final, finally and freely that Christ does in us again and again and again. We don't have to worry about sliding down the slope of the judges like the, like the people in Judges. We have Christ, we have his spirit. He, he fills us with his love again and again, helping us to experience his presence again and again. Look at what, how Paul describes it here. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his, his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of Father, so too we may walk in newness of life. God wants to baptize. That's what baptism means. He, he immerses us so much in himself and his death and his resurrection. And we're res we are baptized into his resurrection and so we have life. Here's the invitation today. There's warm water in the baptism pool. We've got shorts. We've got towels. We've got hair dryers. You can symbolically Show what God is doing in your life today through baptism. Now, there's several things here. If you're already saved, you've already been baptized, it's, it's not a have-to kind of thing. It's symbolic. But my, what God led me to, told me to, to get ready for, is that maybe there's someone here, the Lord's been dealing with your heart about this. And not just getting into a, a tank and being dunked, but 
being dunked in his presence, being dunked in his love, being immersed in him afresh and anew. That can happen where you're seating, seated today. Seated today. It doesn't have to be in the pool, but it could be. We've prepared for you. Maybe today you want to be saved. Maybe today you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you say, I want to trust him now and be baptized into his salvation. I want to be counted righteous as Romans 5 verse 1 says. There's going to be people here in just a moment up front to receive you, to help you, to navigate whatever God may be telling you in this moment. The Lord told me to get ready. We did that. I'm trusting Him to move. And I'm trusting you. I'm trusting Him to move in such a way that you would heed it. You would hear it. You would come to Him today and His open arms would welcome you. And so in this moment, we're going to sing a song. Oh, come to the altar. Are you broken? Are you hurting within? Is God wanting to do something in your life? You come to him. His arms are wide open for you. We'll be here in just a moment. I'm going to pray. Our team's going to come. Folks are going to come forward. If you'd like to speak with someone, if you think God is leading you to be baptized, whatever it may be, we'll talk with you. We'll help you walk through that and understand it. But do not go out of here today with God speaking to you and you deciding, you know what? I'm not going to listen. Because it's one thing to know. Remember the first point is that the experiences in our life lead us to understand our plight. It's one thing to know our plight. You cannot have one without the other. Barak understood this plight. But he also says, I will not go unless God goes with me. The second thing you have to do is say, I'm drawing a line in the sand today to say, God, I want to be immersed in you and in your presence. I want, you to, I want to know you fully. I want to live in you. I want to be filled up with your love. I want to know you. And so listen to God, hear from God. And if he's leading you to follow in any way, today is the day. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. May you work. May you move. That's my prayer, God. May this not be Derek. May this be Christ. May this be Jesus. May you work in people's hearts and lives in this moment as only you can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And we're going to sing. And if God is moving in your heart, you come.